You are listening to South Niagara Conversations, a podcast presented by the South Niagara Chambers of Commerce, along with 105.1 The River and 101.1 More FM. Here are your hosts, Dolores Fabiano and Scott Lunn. Well, good morning, everyone, and thanks to everyone who's joined us for our South Niagara Conversation Series. For those of you who are tuning in from afar, we represent the communities of Fort Erie, Niagara Falls, Fort Coburn, Waynefleet, Welland, and Pelham. We're located in Southern Ontario, a wonderful place to live, work, and play. Good morning, Scott. How are you today? Doing very well, Dolores. Thank you. It's cooled down a bit, and uh, you know, it's uh, we're we've moved into patio season, so everything's good. All right? Can't wait there is a patio waiting for me today <laughs> and life is good uh, i also want to give a shout out to our tech sponsor brian Lachapelle from b4 networks they're the uh, technology experts that everybody needs brian how are you this morning thanks Dolores. great i know there's a patio in your future too uh, this morning, we have a few familiar faces joining us, along with a new one. We're welcoming back uh, some of the Niagara Health team uh, to provide us with a bit of an update and to talk about some of the lessons that we've learned. Scott, who do we have joining us this morning? Well, I'm Dolores. This morning, we are welcoming back Dr. Kareem Ali, Director, Division of Infectious Diseases and Antimicrobial Stewardship Program, Pandemic Preparedness Lead. You must have a gigantic business card to get all that on there. Uh, also, uh, Natalie Ferrero, RN, Kidney Clinic Clinical Manager, Hemodialysis Unit, and currently at the NH Vaccination Clinic. Uh, good to see you both back. And we also welcome this morning, Linda Boyce, who is the Executive Vice President, Quality and Mental Health and Addictions Executive Lead for the Integrated Care and Executive Lead, Niagara COVID-19 Vaccination Task Force. You set me up having to do this introduction, Dolores, this morning. This is a very wordy, uh, very, a lot of people with a lot of lot going on. Um, well, we're going to start with Natalie, who is uh, either at the clinic or uh, waiting for a hockey game to start. I'm not quite certain. But Natalie, uh, what's it been like uh, moving forward with vaccinations? And over the last few weeks, I can only imagine it's been uh, been a lot of changes and, and just pretty chaotic. Yeah, Scott. Um, yeah, here at the Vaccine Center Live at Seymour Hanna. Um, it's been great. We still have, you know, we're keeping up that positive energy. Uh, we're seeing a lot of uh, the community of Niagara coming to get their doses. Um, as of today, we've done 156,824 vaccines to date here at Seymour Hanna which um, is great. And we've done 18,000 um, second doses. So the Niagara region is at 62% first dose vaccinated and our second uh, fully vaccinated population is about 7.7% uh, Niagara region. So we continue to come here every day um, to vaccinate the residents of Niagara and keep everybody uh, safe so that we can end this pandemic. And how has it, has, if you get, is the workflow, you know, come along nicely over, over the last uh, month or so as, as it starts to un unfold? Because, you know, there's always seems to be some questions everywhere as to, you know, what, what vaccines are available, what goes with what and how, to, you know, so how, how has the process been? Yeah, I think the process has been pretty good. The province likes to, you know, make some changes on Fridays. <laughs> but other than that, you know what, we, uh, the clinic is running very efficiently. Um, and um, I think that we're doing good. And every week, uh, it gets better and better and, and our numbers keep going up. So yeah, it's going well here. 
Now, I, I know that uh, we were talking just before we, we um, went live. Uh, there were some reports in the local paper about um, the schedule changing with the um, vaccine uh, clinics, maybe because of supply, maybe not. Can you provide us with a little bit of clarification on that, Natalie? Sure. So um, our supply hasn't changed. So we continue to get the same supply each week. Um, we were at one point um, doing 2100 uh, patients six days a week. Um, and because now we're hitting that second dose uh, population, everybody's coming back for their second doses. Um, we are going to open up the seven days a week, and we're going to stretch those same number of vaccines through the seven days a week. So we're not closing bays. Uh, we run 18 to 20 bays, uh, vaccinator bays per day. Um, seven days a week, and uh, we'll continue to stay here and vaccinate the Niagara region. Yeah, that's fantastic. I actually have to share some exciting news. My uh, 80-year-old parents are going for their second dose today. I'm so happy. Yeah, it great. got up. So uh, great news in our family for sure. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, and we just recently opened up some more vaccine spots available in the provincial tool. So from the 22nd to the 29th, we now have open spots available to either book for your first dose or for uh, to move your second dose up if you're eligible. Yeah, and, and Scott, I mean, we've talked about this before, but but the process for, for me and my family um, was fantastic. Uh, it was just easy. Um, you showed up and um, it was, I've said this before, for, for me personally, when my husband and I went, it was a joyous occasion, probably one of the happiest moments we've had in a year to know that, uh, you know, there's um, a, a light at the end of the tunnel. And uh, when we came out, um, you know, we had the, the Port Coburn firefighters out there and they were high-fiving us and uh, giving everybody a bottle of hand sanitizer. And it just was a, a real, sounds so strange, you know, uh, but a feel-good moment. Uh, Scott, you had a similar experience? Yeah, it was uh, super, super easy. And, uh, you know, I was contacted by, uh, by a clinic and, and went and had it done. And now I've set up for the, for my second one, which is, and it was, it goes so quick. The, the thing that everybody says is how fast it is. Like you kind of wait for the, the needle and, but then you don't even know what happened. It's uh, I don't know why, if there's something special about this vaccine that is quicker than others or, or what, but uh, no, it's, it's super easy process. And, uh, and uh, I just don't know why we don't have the free beer uh, like they do in the U.S. Uh, to motivate us. But, you know, outside of that, it's awesome. Ketchup <laughs> chips. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's great. I'm down with that. <laughs> or a G&T. I mean, it's patio exactly. season, you say. <laughs> um, Dr. Ali, so the last time you were with us, I, I think uh, that day we were awaiting an announcement from the provincial government around the third wave and and um, some of the restrictions. And, um, you know, you, you gave us some great insight that day. But can you tell us a little bit about what you and your team have experienced since then? I, I, I think you've gone through a couple of, <coughs> for lack of a better word, crazy months. Um, can you share a little bit about what, what you've gone through? Yeah, um, you know, it, there are, it was quite a, um, an eye-opening uh, um, sort of moment at that time because, you know, we, um, you know, the, the healthcare side was asking at that time not to be so quick in reopening. We were just at the, 
um, just starting to get better or just starting to turn around with the second wave at that time when, uh, when uh, um, you know, decided to reopen. And, you know, we didn't have the vaccine amount like the, in, in the quantity that we needed, right? And it was at that same time that the alpha variant or the, this, this uh, variant of the virus uh, that was first identified in United Kingdom uh, was starting to spread. So, you know, writing was sort of on the wall at that time, like how things are going to go. Um, but, uh, and, uh, you know, it's just, it was a bit uh, uh, disheartening because we knew what was going to happen. And it happened anyways, right? Like nobody listened. Dr. Hirji kept saying this. All of us kept saying this. Our president, right, like kept saying this, like be very, very careful. We just are starting to revamp our, our, our surgeries and all, right, like Linda. And then we had to shut everything down very, very, or ramp everything down very quickly. Um, what uh, was different in this wave is, is a lot of uh, disease and a lot of death um, in, in younger population. Nobody should die, right? But we saw a lot of um, uh, heartbreak, a lot of uh, uh, this uh, people dying alone away from their families, right? Um, you know, one, one thing that we sort of uh, talked about, um, you know, Linda can tell us, you know, what we prepared for last year in March, um, 2020, we actually executed this um, in, in this third wave, right? Like we, we were able to avert uh, these uh, scenarios uh, in the first wave, in the second wave. But unfortunately, you know, we knew how things are spread, how things are going to go. Um, and we still, um, you know, had to go through this. So yes, traumatic experience, but, you know, we are starting to come out of it uh, now. And, uh, you know, it's, I'm going to be very, very uh, honest here, right? Like this pandemic is not going to be over just because we are vaccinated. Don't, don't think that for a moment. Uh, like WHO has said, like uh, there is a consensus now that, you know, this virus is going to be with us for a long time, okay? You, you can't eliminate a virus uh, that uh, can survive in, in other animal species, right? Because it can transmit back and forth. And when it does that, it can change and mutate to a point where you would need new vaccines and all, right? So this, uh, uh, you know, this is sort of how, how I see things, right? Like it's going to be vaccines are going to prevent, right? Like it's good news. We are starting to see the uncoupling or decoupling, as we say. Yes, there are going to be cases out in the community, but what we will see in the hospital is going to be very different. Um, and, uh, you know, um, COVID anywhere in the world is going to be eventually COVID everywhere, right? Like it's just, that's the way these, uh, these things work. It'll spread, but I'm hopeful. And, uh, you know, there is, um, uh, as you said, the light at the end of the tunnel and, you know, this is good. We, we should rejoice. We should enjoy this. Um, but don't, you know, like the public health measures are still in place. We have to follow them. Yeah, and it's a real, you know, I wouldn't want to be a, a political leader now for, for anything because, 
you know, no. you, you make decisions today based on the information that you have today. And that information changes so quickly. Um, and so their response has to change so quickly. And, and it's easy for us to, to criticize that, but, but there has to be some understanding. Um, yeah, it's, um, yeah, I'm almost without words, Scott. <laughs> well, well, one thing that I, I have a question, uh, Dr. Ali, on, on uh, there's listening to some information yesterday, I heard the, the, uh, the term long COVID and basically meaning even though people have, have gotten it and it's resolved, we don't know what the, I don't, and it's probably way too early to tell or maybe even ask this question, but what the long-term effects are going to be for the populace going forward, right? This is actually an excellent question. Yes. You know, this is why we keep telling people this is not just the flu, right? You know how, how people tell you, right? Like, oh, it's just the flu, you're going to be better. Uh, what, you know, in one study from United Kingdom, um, what they saw was about 75% uh, of people had at least one debilitating symptom uh, at least six to eight months out of uh, their acute phase. So that included things like brain fog, that included things like, uh, you know, fatigue, um, you know, uh, uh, memory issues, um, lack of energy, right? And the thing is, you got to understand people who we treat in the hospital with, uh, you know, with medications, uh, 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 steroids and all that saved their lives, literally, right? Like that was different this time, some medications saving their lives they can have, uh, you know, they can cause muscle weakness and all. Being on the ventilator for a while, right? Like, so this time around in third wave, we had young people uh, very, very sick, right? Like, because that's, that's when your immune system fights back and it really fights back and it can kill, uh, you know, it can cause uh, a lot of damage to your own uh, body. Those consequences of, uh, of uh, uh, COVID, we are just starting to understand. And, uh, you know, we are, um, you know, Niagara Health, we are lucky uh, that our uh, uh, intensive care lead, uh, Dr. Jennifer Sang, and our chief of medicine, Dr. Lorraine Jensen, uh, and, uh, and uh, Harpreet Bassi, right? They are working together, um, um, you know, with the ministry and all to establish a, a post-COVID or long-COVID clinic uh, eventually. Uh, there is some work being done at University of Toronto right now uh, because we are just learning about this, right? Like this is, this is so new. Like what, how can we help people with this? Yeah, and, uh, Linda, um, I just want to get to you a little bit, um, you know, based on, on what Dr. Ali is saying and on what the experience has been the last 15 months now, what are some of the takeaways that, that we need to, look at like right now? Yeah, and maybe I'll show my age a bit when I and when I say I'll borrow from David Letterman and share my this, <laughs> but I'll spare you. And it's, uh, you know, I thought about this a little bit kind of the top five, and it's, it's probably not going to be surprising. Some of this isn't rocket science. Um, in the sense that, you know, for me, one of the biggest takeaways has been around taking emergency preparedness planning seriously. You know, we had a pandemic plan, um, but it was just that it was a plan, it was on paper, and it really didn't have the depth and the broad awareness and understanding across the organization of what it meant. You know, and the other, the other piece of that, you know, from a thinking about lessons learned is the importance of taking the time to do simulation exercises. 
and to always be ready in that worst case scenario. And that came to light, particularly in this wave three, when we really had to mobilize on a dime to create additional critical care or ICU capacity in an overflow area. And thank goodness that the team had developed that plan and had actually done some simulations some tabletop exercises to be able to flip the switch very quickly and aggressively to be ready. And, you know, for, again, another big takeaway for me is that it, part of emergency preparedness means a crisis planning needs to be part of an organizational culture. You know, it really has to become that kind of nomenclature around. That's the way we do things around here. We plan for the worst. And, you know, often healthcare providers do plan for the worst given kind of healthcare crises that people experience. But as an organization, we haven't traditionally thought that way. And this really has embedded that notion that we need to start to think about those what if scenarios and plan them. So taking emergency preparedness planning seriously was my first kind of another, and they're not necessarily in order, but what I think too, and you know, you've hit on it so many times just through the conversation this morning is that communication and transparency is vital. And in a crisis, you can't emphasize enough that communicating effectively is everything you know, at times, even internally, when I reflect, you know, we were communicating from a fire hose. We were blasting messages continuously about changes in PPE, changes in service delivery, you know, trying to keep people as up to date as possible on, you know, the current, the emerging evidence. And I'm certain that there were times that people said, you know what, we, we're not communicating enough that people felt they were in the dark. And I think other times they were saying it's just way too much and we were saturating them. So, you know, really that that simple current messaging is important, but a part of transparency is saying, we don't know. And, and telling people, you know what, we don't know yet. So we'll, as soon as we know, we'll let you know. You know, the other thing that on the patient and family side was some of the visitor restrictions that we had to implement that were truly heartbreaking, you know, as a as a team, when we had to say, you know what, this is in the best interest of our community, it highlighted the importance of communication on the patient and family front. And, you know, we know we have work to do on that as well in, in terms of improving and, and uh, moving forward. The third thing I think about is that importance of assembling that team to support decisive decision making. And it takes a village, you know, to do this. It really does take a team. Uh, to coordinate. And so what we've done internally is we have a centralized crisis management governance structure. So our emergency operations committee, and that's really the central table that makes all the decisions and that disseminates all the information so that there's consistency and that there's one voice and that all the perspectives so that, you know, we hear from Dr. Ali in terms of what the emergence, emerging evidence is saying from an infectious disease perspective, but then how do we now start to think about connecting the dots around all the things that we need to do to respond so having that clarity on roles and responsibilities, and again, it sounds like it's easy, but when you're in that crisis moment, it's not, because it's thinking about what are those right, the right perspectives. And, you know, fundamental to building that centralized structure is you have to have trust, right? Because really at the, particularly in the early parts of the pandemic, trust is all we really had because things were changing and we really had to trust that the people we are asking to lead the different aspects of the pandemic response were doing so, you know, based on principles, on ethics. And sometimes it was common sense. 
but it wasn't about micromanaging. It wasn't about second guessing. It was trust and try to aim people with the information that they need. And, you know, being part of a, of a team, it's akin to having strong partnership. You can't do it alone. We had to have strong relationships within the organization and outside the organization. And I think the other, you know, important lesson for me has been that as a leader, it's so important to work in partnership on a regular basis, but particularly in crisis, you have to surround yourself with people who have varied views, varied perspectives. And I say you surround yourself with people who are smarter than you. And that was my experience with the vaccine effort, you know, with Dr. Ali and Natalie really being the brains and, you know, sometimes you're just coordinating the orchestra, um, but it's really tapping the right people. The fourth thing I think about is that notion of, and I, of building resilience. You have to support your teams to adapt on the fly, particularly in the face of uncertainty and to adapt quickly. So it's about giving people and teams permission to try new things and it's, it's saying, it's okay if that doesn't work. You know what? We, it, this is the essence of quality improvement and the work that we do. Uh, it's continuous learning. So let's try it. If it doesn't work, we'll try something else. And maybe one of the most fundamental takeaways, sorry, I feel like I'm hogging the time here, but has been, you know, it's important what you do in a crisis, but probably just as important is how you do it. So for me, it's about remembering to respond with compassion and with empathy and just being kind, you know, in crisis mode, it's about reacting. It's about responding. It's about fixing. It's about solving. It's about, oh my gosh, we got to hurry up and get this done. But you know what, when we become so task focused, sometimes, you know, you, how you respond comes at the expense of some of those basics of compassion, empathy, and kindness. And it's so important that we don't forget that so that we, you know, the action mode doesn't take over the kindness mode so that we respond that, you know, people around us are scared, they're unsure. And how we do it is just as important. And then I'll, I'll cheat and I'll add a, just a quick sixth one because I said I was going to keep it to five. But, you know, particularly in a crisis, we have to remember that self-care is not self-indulgence. And no one has been immune to this pandemic at home, at work in our community. People are tired, have given so, so much of themselves and the importance of encouraging people to ask for help and ask for support um, can't be understated. So I'm sorry that it took so much space, so much time. Um, you know, again, I, I think it's sometimes it's the, these are some Captain Obvious um, perspectives and statements, but they're so fundamental to how we do our work as an organization. You know, we could talk about you know, lessons learned around infection control and around having the right physical built environment. And those are somewhat easier to fix than some of these other, you know, more non-tangible things. So thanks for asking, Dolores, probably. Yeah. Regret you did. No, the 10 p.m. call. Oh, my God, Linda, we we need to do something right now. Like, yes. (laughs) That's uh, 10 p.m. at night, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that, that was a great, great response in so many places. I want to take uh, the conversation in uh, based on what you've said. So the first, uh, you know, is around the communication piece. And um, I'd like to know your thoughts. I mean, from, from our perspective, um, exactly what you said, our, our businesses, our members, uh, you know, told us early on, stop sending us all this information. It's too much. 
We can't process any of it because it's confusing. It's changing all the time. We don't know what's what. So just stop. And, and so we, we did and just, you know, um, took calls. And as people needed specific things, we knew all the information. Well, uh, you know, at any given time. Um, and we would direct people. But, you, you know, we found that um, social media was not always helpful. Because um, even though, you know, credible sources are posting to social media, others are also posting. And it confused things even, even more. Do you guys have any, any thoughts on that? Um, it, it, just, it just seemed easier, and I'm going to date myself, when you could get your, your news, you know, from the local paper, from the radio station, from, you know, the, the TV station. Uh, now there's news everywhere, and none of it, um, you know, or a lot of it, isn't necessarily from a, a, a credible news source. It, it could be you know, the neighbor Joe up the street who's retired and, you know, talked to his friend. Facebook. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Any thoughts on that? I, I can start. Like, I, I, so I would say, you know, the, the way I think about this is information is out there, but so is misinformation, uh -huh. right? I have not, I have not been aware that there are so many infectious disease, microbiology, infection control, mental health, uh, pediatric, uh, business experts out there. Um, I, I had no idea until this pandemic started. I'm like, oh, I, I thought I was the, the lonely one, right? Like, like oh, ID, you know. Um, we have to understand, right? Like misinformation, it spreads much more quickly, right? People have time, un unfortunately, right? Like people, people are hurting. Like no matter what we say, you know, we, we, I have said lockdowns absolutely work to bring down the, the, the infection rate. You protect your healthcare capacity, you protect the lives, uh, you save lives with lockdowns, but lockdowns hurt a lot of other people, right? Like they, I'm, I'm sure some people, right? Like they would never have their lives back together like they did before. And, you know, always acknowledging that I understand I have, we have a stable paycheck, right? Stable job, we'll be able to get through this, but some people won't. And this is, um, you know, then it sort of becomes fodder and ripe for this, uh, this uh, misinformation, right? Like, so WHO, back in January 2020, um, it was actually January 20, uh, like somewhere around the, the last uh, week when uh, Dr. Tedros uh, Capricius, he coined it or, or they came up with the term infodemic, right? Like, and we talked about that, Linda, so many times in, in the meetings. It wasn't just the epidemic we were fighting. We were actually fighting infodemic and we keep doing this right now. On January, um, I think it was January 12th or 13, Woody Harrelson had, uh, had written something uh, about uh, taking something from somebody out there in Belgium and uh, talking about 5G and uh, the COVID or, or, or the, the NCOV virus at that time. And we still keep hearing this, right? Uh, so that's how those, you know, like it's, it's fascinating to see how, you know, uh, manipulated the human mind can be once, uh, you know, once we have uh, all of this going on. And, to be fair to people, we 
um, you know, in, in the medical community weren't able to communicate this, right? Like I never thought my job at some point would be to talk to people and, you know, learning to talk to people effectively is an art. I can throw big words, like, you know, like, uh, like virology or, or infectious disease, big words, but that doesn't mean anything. And that's what you said, Dolores, that's exactly what, uh, what we heard is what you're telling us, it doesn't make sense. And the, the, the side, right, like that came up with this, the, all these conspiracy theories and all it, you know, it's, it's digestible. So people understand that and can relate and connect to that. And it just becomes our job then becomes, uh, you know, we have to focus on effective communication. And I think we eventually learned, right, like on, on the fly. And, you know, communicating the fact that this is a pandemic, this is unprecedented. We just, you know, sometimes we don't have the answer. So don't make up the answer. Just say it. I have no idea how things are going to go. How about, you know, we, we look at it that way. And in, in so many meetings, uh, Natalie knows, Linda knows, we, you know, we were like, this is something we just have to, you know, do an environmental scan, figure out. We just don't have this info right now. Yeah, and, and you know what, I'll, I'll say that I think you've done a really good job at communicating because, uh, you know, this is the second time you've, you've joined us and um, you, you, you really, you, you, you break it down into bites that we can digest. And uh, so I think you're, you're doing a great job. So you've That's worked with Linda. Yourself, I guess. That's Linda. That's Linda. <laughs> Linda is like, used to keep saying English, Kareem, English. English so eventually yeah yeah well it's 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 good um Natalie Linda do you have any thoughts on the um the communication piece the um it's okay if you don't <laughs> no okay so the other thing oh yes Linda no I, I don't want to repeat it you know I think Kareem's right on and I think it is to your point too Dolores we just didn't you know we didn't know and sometimes you if you try to fill the void by by communicating and it's not helpful, right? So it's that notion of saying, we don't know yet, so just hang tight. And sometimes that's frustrating for people, but I think that, you know, we wanted to, you need to minimize the noise at times uh, because people also need a break from it. Yeah, yeah. As, as much as there was too much information, uh, we couldn't help ourselves. Um, you know, I mean, that, that was the what was happening in our worlds and, and affected every aspect of our world. And so, you know, I, I myself, you know, the news was on 24 seven and eventually for my own mental health, I had to stop. And, um, and I did, and I feel much, much better, but you know, it's, you want to know, but, but you don't want to know. And um, it's just strange, very strange. Yeah, in our, in our world, we wanted to know because we wanted to make sure we were keeping our staff, our physicians and our patients safe. So that was part of, you know, we needed the information as quickly as we could get it so we could pivot and make sure that we were deploying. Because I will never forget, it was Easter weekend last year when the news came about going to universal masking for everybody in the building. And it was literally on that weekend. And the joke in our world is it always happens on a Friday. Um, you know, that we need to deploy and implement this massive strategy. And it it's constantly like that. But again, it's, that's the part of being in a crisis, you have to be ready at the moment. And you have to trust that you pull together that right group of people that are going to know how to help make it happen. And so far, you know, we've, we've done, I think, a pretty good job at that. And, 
have, if this ever happens again, there's lots of ways that, you know, we've learned about leveraging people to help make things happen. Yeah. Well, you know what, I, I was going to go in a different direction, but you said something uh, that I, I want to know more about. What are your thoughts on the masks moving forward? Are they going to be with us for a while? Dr. Ali is shaking his head. Natalie is shaking her, her head. All right, tell us. I think in the in the hierarchy of things, right? Like like Linda said, uh, it, you know, the the first ever time we we talked about this uh, uh, was uh, January twenty seventh, right, Linda? Like uh, when we put together uh, the the EOC January twenty seventh, twenty twenty. I would never forget it because somehow it happened. Like I kept bugging Linda. I kept on Linda, uh, Derek, and uh, Dr. Villion on the weekend. We need to do something. Because on January 26th, was it, when Sunnybrook patient had, had first presented? And then January 27th was a Monday, and we had our, uh, our first ever EOC meeting. And, you know, we were presenting at that time. And uh, uh, the pager going on because we had our first person under investigation. It just happened that way. At that time, I remember, like, I still have that, that slide deck saved but I had said constant PPE, like mask wearing is, hasn't shown any benefit before, right? So we just like, this is not something you, you can't just walk around in PPE. Look how far we have come. And this is the beauty, right? Like this is what I see. You always want to listen to people who are willing to change their uh, viewpoint and uh, willing to listen to evidence and not rigid where, uh, you know, I'm just not going to change my mind about this, right? Like I won't talk. In the hierarchy of prevention uh, or, or these non-pharmaceutical measures that we have right now in, in terms of pandemic control, I think masks would be the last one to go. Um, they are going to be, and, you know, even if the government says the mask mandates are off, I think people won't be comfortable just taking it off uh, uh, yet. Uh, we are not only talking about the COVID uh, virus, right? Like we are also talking about other viruses that have essentially been, um, we haven't seen flu, right? Like it's just not there. So how does this happen moving forward? Do we wear a mask every time, you know, during the flu season? Like how do we do this? It's just it, it, only time will tell. Um, but uh, you know, US would be a good example for us to look at, right? Like where mask mandates are being lifted or some states have gone the other way where they have actually said mask mandates would maybe illegal. Like, so so how does disease spread continue there? Like we want to see that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You make a good point because I cannot imagine, I mean, it's a habit, right? It, it, we, we, we're, we've got this new habit where when you go out, you put on a mask and you don't even think about it anymore. And I don't think that, you know, if they said, okay, you don't need to wear your mask uh, starting today. They didn't say that. I'm just <laughs> throwing it out there. Uh, I don't think that I could go to a grocery store and not put on my mask. I, I would just not feel comfortable doing that. So I, I think you're right on the money. It's, it's habits that are just not going to go away overnight. And, um, and yeah, may, maybe during flu season, uh, you know, that's the right thing to do. I don't know. It's uh... It's a collective traumatic experience we have gone through, right? Like, so it's going to be like, this is always going to be our, our safe place for a while. Yeah. Um, and, you know, 
I, I want us to understand, like we have a large population in, in Ontario, in, in, uh, in uh, Canada overall, that haven't received their second dose. So we are not even right. close uh, to, to even talking about these things just yet. Yeah, good point. Very good point. I mean, I, I know that I'm scheduled for early September and, and maybe that gets moved up, maybe it doesn't. But that's, you know, what I'm looking at. And, and Scott, I don't think you're too far before me or no. too soon before me. Right. So a, a while to go still. You're right. You're right. Um, so this week, uh, Manitoba announced that they're going to be implementing um, a vaccination card. Um, so that's going to allow people who are fully vaccinated to, to uh, some of the things will be to travel within Canada without having to self-isolate, uh, expanded visitation to healthcare facilities, um, and maybe a few other things. Of course, they've been talking about the vaccine passports. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Good idea? Think it's coming? Inevitable? I'm going to let Kareem go because he's sitting at a lot of these tables where they're helping to inform and advise. So, you know, this is, um, um, it's a matter of a lot of uh, uh, a debate, right? Um, you know, where, where do we draw the line, right? Um, how, how do we do this? I think, I think there are innovative ways to think about these things. Um, our prime minister has said, right, like he will be keeping a very close eye on how things go around the world before, you know, anything like this is implemented federally, right? Uh, and, you know, we kind of do understand there the, the point too. Just because you are going to be vaccinated doesn't mean you can't catch it. Um, you know, doesn't mean there can be a new variant and all, right? Like there will always be some amount of risk, okay? There are people who won't get the vaccine. There are people who cannot get the vaccine. Um, although these vaccines are so, so safe uh, that, uh, you know, we like what we would eventually see is people just not getting the vaccine, right? In, in those situations, right? Like the, the way it has been thought of is, you know, you provide them with an opportunity. You have to make a choice, right? Um, that, you know, not responding to it is not an option. Like you have to say, yes, I'm vaccinated or not. And if you're not vaccinated, what's the reason? And, you know, you, you may have to attend an educational session or something so that, you know, if there are questions that have been unanswered, we help you through them. Okay. Um, Vaccine passports have been used um, for infectious diseases for a long time, right? Like yellow fever is the best example because this is how we have contained or eliminated yellow fever from North America, right? Uh, there are endemic regions for yellow fever around the world, um, you know, South America uh, and especially the, you know, Africa and all where you do need evidence uh, of a yellow fever vaccine before you travel or you know, get out of there or something. Uh, how is this going to apply with this uh, uh, COVID, uh, with, uh, with, uh, with our current pandemic? You know, this is, uh, this is uncharted territory again, right? Like this, you know, then goes into this charter of uh, uh, like our, our freedoms and our, uh, you know, what like public health, right? Like what's, what's important. Um, my personal view, if there is, uh, you know, like 
people having a choice is is more than enough right like you can show that yes i'm i'm uh, i haven't uh, uh, been vaccinated yes i have been vaccinated but i i hope and i i don't think canada will ever be punitive against people who are not vaccinated yes there has to be certain public health measures they may be treated a bit differently but that is to keep the population safe yeah yeah and that's so that's a very roundabout way of saying i have no idea how this is going to go <laughs> and that's okay <laughs> i can respect that <laughs> so uh, um they're saying that here in canada uh, approximately 25% um of our population is vaccine hesitant i guess is the term that they're using and i know that um in the states they're they've come up with some really interesting ways of um of encouraging vaccine hesitant uh people to to get the vaccine. So some of the things um you know they're they're doing lotteries for for scholarships for your scholarships to to universities um handing out beer um they're doing a lot of different things. Um maybe Natalie uh, you know is there anything um that that we could do should do to encourage uh inform um just connect with um that portion of the population that still is hesitant to get the vaccine um i think here in the niagara region we haven't seen that quite yet we're still at the that race to everybody to get here and get their vaccine um i'm hoping that we won't see that here in niagara um to that volume i'm hoping that by the more people getting vaccinated seeing that people feel okay after their vaccine there's no symptoms you know a lot of people are double vaccinated and understanding the importance of the vaccine not only for yourself but for your loved ones and and you know sending our kids back to school and all those kinds of things that we won't see that that high percentage of vaccine um hesitancy and also i think just you know informing them um of the importance of the vaccine and that um the vaccine a vaccine like these have been around for a long period of time and i think again really focusing that you can't always believe everything you hear in the news and that you need to make informed decisions by doing your own research and giving them reputable websites to do that that research and not going to doctor google because i think it's really important for people like us who are in this health field to you know have do things like this podcasts and and newspaper articles and interviews to help educate the population on the true facts of the importance of the vaccine and the safety of the vaccine yeah that's a great answer great answer um linda i'm going to come back to you because this this pandemic is really um shown us the importance of of having you know good up to date uh, medical facilities uh, equipment and adequate staffing and i know that our our south niagara hospital which we've been talking about for seems like forever i think it's been maybe closer to 10 years maybe not but it seems like that that long and uh, it's underway can you provide us an update or or any um information on on what's happening with that and, and what the direction might be um to ensure that we've got you know great facilities uh well staffed and and um the equipment that we need moving forward yeah absolutely we actually uh through this pandemic have continued to do our planning and work through the major milestones that are are required in terms of getting through the various approvals and you know a lot of that is also um, being informed by this pandemic in the sense of you know what are the requirements around physical spaces around 
airflow, all of the things that you know we've had to to really take into consideration in responding to this 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 particular virus. Um, but it's good for all viruses, right? So the things are around uh, as many, and the, the really great thing about the New South Niagara Hospital is 100% of the rooms would be private rooms. So you know, again, minimizing that risk of transmission uh, within a patient care area. So that's music to Dr. Ali's ears, as you can see. Um, uh, so again, you know, really looking also at other built environments that you know, we have the lessons learned from the St. Catherine site um, as being a new new build, but also there are other new hospitals that have been built um, in the last number of years. So taking those lessons learned and making sure that we apply them as we start to move forward with the next phases. So it's really exciting time to uh, be able to, to leverage those lessons and make sure that we've got the state of our, state of the art, notch physical environment. And then fill it with, as I said, people that have compassion and empathy um, in the way that they provide their care. So stay tuned. There's more coming, uh, more news coming on the new site and uh, don't want to burst that bubble right now. Yeah, that, that is exciting news. And um, I know I, I shared last time that, um, you know, uh, last summer, my mom was in the hospital and of course we weren't able to be with her, but um, we, we had such a great experience because, um, staff always took our calls, always gave us updates. We were able to speak with them. Um, you know, they would hold the phone up to my, my mom's ears so that we could, you know, ask her questions and talk with her. And that's the kind of, of care that we all deserve, whether, you know, it's a pandemic or not. And um, I think you can only provide that kind of care if you have enough people um, there to do it. So that that's great news. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy with that. Scott, another fantastic conversation. Yeah, well, I mean, with lots of uh, information this morning and, uh, and some, uh, some words to live by as we move, move forward in this uh, scenario. And, and, and hopefully uh, the, uh, the numbers continue to uh, go down on the case front and up on the vaccine front. And it certainly looks like we're heading, uh, heading in the right direction. And uh, Hopefully, uh, people can uh, maintain some uh, decorum on patios this weekend as we move into uh, <laughs> being able to, to enjoy uh, an evening out. Uh, Natalie Ferrero, uh, Linda Boych, and uh, Dr. Ali Karim, thanks again. Uh, great, uh, great morning of conversation. Appreciate your uh, everything you do and for coming on board this morning. Well, thanks for the opportunity. And remember, clean your hands. Yes, and wear your mask. <laughs> Thank you. That's great. That's great. Well, Scott, believe it or not, next week is going to be our final episode of the season. I think we'll have wrapped up 21 amazing conversations. Uh, so well done, Scott and Brian. Of course, we can't do it without you. Uh, we're going to be welcoming uh, Kelly Jones from Employment Solutions, Deanna Delia from the YMCA, and Vivian Kennard from Niagara Workforce Training Board. We'll gain some insight into the local labor market, what it means for job seekers, and what it means for businesses. It's going to be another informative conversation for sure. To all of our listeners, uh, send us the topics that you're talking about because we want to talk about them too. Thanks again for tuning in and have yourselves a wonderful day on a patio somewhere. Enjoy. <laughs> <laughs>